guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing all right. Not the best, but not the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Remember last week when you said, I'm in that weird in-between time where I don't know if I'm getting sick or fill in the blank there. What what happened there? I was getting sick, in fact. You were getting sick. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. I'm yeah. sorry. It's it stinks. It's really it going around. Yeah, it yeah. really is going around. I was telling uh, another friend about, uh, we were talking about all the illnesses and stuff going around, but it does seem like right after Thanksgiving, after everyone kind of gets together with their families and people have been traveling, it seems like that like week or two after that, it's just, there's everything going around. Yeah. So yeah, thankfully, I, I actually am very thankful like that I am a pretty healthy person and I'm not feeling like super terrible, but it's just, uh, it's just mm. one of those things. Nobody likes to be sick. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't been sick since May when I got like hospital Very sick. Very sick. And yeah. so I'm <laughs> terrified of getting sick. Like anytime my throat kind of tickles, I'm like, is this it? Is this it? <laughs> yeah, I know. I want to put you in a bubble like all winter. <laughs> yeah. But I'm doing quite well. I mean, it's been seven months. Knock on everything. Knock on everything. 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 Yes. everything. yes. Okay. Definitely knock on my own yes. head. But Mandy, when I read this story, and I've heard about it in the news, my brain almost broke. And I'm so I just cannot wait to get into the story. You've heard it. You heard of this one already? Yeah, I've seen her face. Well, okay, I should say that I've seen her face. So I've seen little blips. But I had no idea the scale of this or a lot of it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I have actually or had never heard of this story. It is a pretty recent one. But also, I'm not somebody who really follows like current news stories, which Right. Maybe it's a little odd considering. It's probably better. All of my interests. Yeah. So I, I tend to go down rabbit holes of things that have like long past happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't really keep up to date on current stuff. So yeah, I had never heard of this one. But oh, yes, it's a good one. So this is our last new episode of this year of 2023 crazy to even say that we have made it to the end of another year. But yes, like we said, this is an absolutely unbelievable story. By the time I finished writing this episode, I actually was convinced that this might be the most absurd and mind-blowing story we've discussed all of this year. And I am literally jumping out of my seat to talk about it, as you guys can tell. In October of 2018, police responded to the home of 62-year-old Lynn Hernan and found her dead. Her caretaker, Jesse Kercheski, had just come to check on her when she noticed that Lynn, who was found unconscious in her recliner in the living room, had crushed up pills that were sitting on a plate next to her, and there were more crushed up pieces of medication sitting on her chest. Bottles of prescription medicine were on the table next to her along with an empty water bottle. At first glance, it seemed pretty obvious what had happened, and Lynn's death was quickly ruled an overdose. But months later, it was revealed that Lynn's overdose may have had a lot more to it. Lynn Hernan, a salon owner and hairstylist from Wisconsin, was a woman that faced significant health challenges over the last few years of her life, and this began in 2015 when she was diagnosed with COPD and some issues with intestinal intolerance. Despite these health setbacks, she was very passionate about her interests, which included her love of hairstyling, cats, being in the sun, water, entertaining, and cooking. Lynn enjoyed black and white movies, and especially those that starred Betty Davis. And she also loved the movie The Wizard of Oz, which I can relate to. I also love that movie a lot. 
Another thing I can relate to is that Lynn was known for always being that person who was rescuing stray animals, which is just one of the ways that she showcased her compassion and generous nature. In 2018, Lynn's health took a more serious turn, and this led to her being hospitalized in February of that year. She was having sharp pains, and she thought that they were coming from eating bologna and peas, but when this pain was lasting for more than four days and she started getting welts, she decided that she needed to seek care. A cause for this pain in these welts couldn't be determined at the time, but a nurse did recommend that Lynn be seen by a 24-hour caregiver. Lynn had been getting help from her friend Jennifer with basic things already, but after this hospitalization, she asked Jennifer's daughter, Jessie, to help her out. Lynn had actually known Jessie for a really long time, since she was just a little girl, and Jessie agreed to help, and she started taking Lynn to doctor's appointments, she would help her clean, and she helped her change her clothes. Unfortunately, Lynn found herself hospitalized again from September 21st through 28th in 2018, and less than a week after being released, Lynn was found dead in her home on October the 3rd. First responders from the fire department confirmed that Lynn was deceased, and based on their observations of the scene, they believed that she died from an overdose, either accidental or intentional. Jessie, who had been the one to call 911, told authorities that she was a family friend as well as being the caretaker and power of attorney for Lynn. She told them she had the keys to Lynn's home and that she came over to her house two or three times a day to help care for her. Furthermore, Jessie said she was the only person who cared for her and she didn't think Lynn even had any family. Jessie told officers about Lynn's many health complications and said she'd been in and out of the hospital and sick for months and had just been released from a hospital stay the previous Friday, September 28th. According to Jessie, Lynn had refused to stay at the hospital for inpatient rehab, despite being advised by medical professionals to do so. Jessie said Lynn was supposed to have a home health care visit on October 1st, but that she had pushed the appointment back to the 5th. As Jessie revealed more about Lynn's behaviors and actions in the week leading up to her death, a picture was painted of a distraught woman who was simply exhausted and just worn down from the struggles of dealing with poor health on a daily basis. Lynn allegedly started throwing out bills and talking about how the hospital would, quote, never get her money. And Jessie also noticed that when she checked Lynn's medications, something always seemed off. Either she had taken too many or she hadn't taken enough. Lynn was allegedly in a constant state of anxiety and worry that she would have to leave her home because of her medical problems. She was someone who just did not want to have to live her life in a nursing home, and it was just something she worried about a lot. Jessie said Lynn kept telling her where she kept all of her important papers, and she reiterated to her what she would want done with her cats if she wasn't able to care for them anymore. In Jessie's interview with investigators, she said that Lynn may have been suicidal, but that she wouldn't want to leave her cats behind. Jessie said that Lynn had no family and didn't really have any contact with anyone else besides Jessie. According to Lynn's will, her entire estate, which was worth around $150,000, was to be passed on to Jessie. And Jessie actually started the legal proceedings to obtain the estate on October 10th, which is about a week after her death. The medical examiner eventually ruled Lynn's death a drug overdose, and the police investigation into her death was closed. But that didn't mean those who knew Lynn were satisfied with this closure. 
Despite Jesse telling officers that Lynn had no family or really even any contact with anyone other than Jesse, Lynn actually did have a small group of family and friends that she was close to, and they were all shocked to hear about her death. None of them had even known Lynn to be suicidal, nor had they seen any red flags that she was suicidal at the time of her death. In December, a good friend of Lynn's met with the police and told them that he did not believe for one second that she had overdosed on drugs. This friend said he thought it was possible that Jesse and her mom Jennifer were both in on whatever happened to Lynn, and he pointed out that this mother-daughter duo had come into Lynn's life, they lived in her home, they used her things, and now in the wake of her death, they were selling off her property and even using her Jeep, which was allegedly supposed to go to Lynn's nephew. One of Lynn's cousins, who also had some concerns about the circumstances of her death, namely that she would have left her entire estate to Jesse, who, as we said, was just the daughter of a friend of hers, this cousin took it upon himself to run a background check on Jesse and found out that she actually had several convictions for forgery and fraud. So this started raising some serious concerns that yeah. Lynn's will might not even be authentic. As it turned out, Jesse's criminal history was quite complex. In March of 2010, she was arrested for misappropriating identity information in order to fraudulently obtain a valuable item. That just sounds like something that you'll be in big trouble for. For sure. So to elaborate on what happened specifically in this case, Jesse was caught stealing personal information from patients at Westside Healthcare Clinic, which is where she worked at the time. She was using their personal information to apply for loans through Quick Loans. It was found that eight of these loan applications were submitted from a computer at the clinic where she worked oh my gosh. over a three-month period in late 2009, early 2010. So she's stealing information from patients and then using the patient's information to apply for loans on the computer at the clinic where she got this information from. It's efficient. You're doing it all. It's, a <laughs> it's not one, intelligent. Do it all. Yeah, it's not intelligent, <laughs> but efficient. So two of those loan applications out of the eight actually resulted in approvals. It's not like she got a ton of money, but she did get $4,000 between those two uh, loans that got approved. Both of the victims, though, found out about it and told the police that they had never given anyone their information or, you know, permission to use their information to get loans or to obtain any kind of money in their names. Jessie ended up admitting to this fraud, and she admitted that she did receive money from two loans totaling $4,000, and she was arrested, but was released on bail and was just ordered not to go into any loan establishments. So one might assume that this run-in with the law would have made Jessie think twice before trying a similar scam, but she didn't. Months later, in July of 2010, she was arrested again for one count of felony misappropriating ID information to obtain a thing of value, bail jumping, and resisting or obstructing an officer. So in this case, Jessie actually showed up to a payday loan store, which was actually a violation of her bail. She attempted to get a car title loan, presenting an application form made out in the name of her mom, who was Jennifer. She had a replacement title to her mom's 2008 Ford, a photocopy of her mom's social security card, and a copy of a check from Jennifer's bank account. She told them that she was actually Jennifer, and she requested a $2,500 cash payment and a check for the remaining $6,350 of the loan. Who would ever think that you could go with photocopies of, like, official documents and think that anyone was going to 
find that to be normal. I feel like they always want you to have a original original or a certified copy, not just a photocopy of a social security card. Obviously, that's going to immediately like set them off to know that something's oh, yeah. not right with this. Totally. And it does happen because I just watched an entire season of Below Deck and the bosun on the boat brought these papers and they were all copies and then they like researched it and it was in their it was somebody else's name. So, people do try to do it, but luckily Hopefully, they get caught. So officers were called to the store after employees became suspicious. And Jesse tried to tell the police that, you know, I'm actually Jennifer. Don't don't worry about this. But <laughs> unfortunately for her, a detective who was actually familiar with Jesse already confirmed she wasn't Jennifer and that she was, in fact, out on bail for a felony. So not this time, sister. So Jesse then tried to say that her mom had given her permission to apply for a loan on her behalf which obviously was not true. So Jennifer, her mom, was interviewed and she was very upset. And she told officers that her daughter had been ruining the entire family's lives and that she, even as her mom, was at the end of her rope with it all. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and you can imagine if she's saying ruining everybody's lives, like this is not the first family member. She's likely done something like this too. So she told police that she was, in fact, missing her personal documents, including her social security card, her ID, the title to her vehicle, and a book of personal checks. All of these items had been locked in a file cabinet that Jesse had apparently broken into so she could steal the documents. So Jennifer was really concerned that her daughter, Jessie, was gambling, which was something that she had a problem with in the past. So she had even called the casino to find out, but she was told that Jessie was on the ban list and couldn't even enter the premises. Oh my gosh. So Jessie's gambling addiction was so bad, she had lost over $44,000 at the casino during the first few months of 2010. She later told police that her gambling addiction is the reason that she first started fraudulently obtaining payday loans. Jessie ended up being arrested for misrepresenting herself as her mother. But the antics actually didn't stop there. Uh, Despite having already been arrested twice in 2010 for these things related to fraud, Jessie found herself in a pickle again in September of the same year. So she's going about one instant per quarter. She's in Q3 now. (laughs) (laughs) that was the best she created a savings account fraudulently of course in the name of a friend's mom she stole the victim's information while she was actually living with her friend and then she created this fraudulent account by sending the credit union copies of the victim's social security card and her wisconsin driver's license after she had altered the information on the face of both of these documents so she's extremely brave right she's like Altering the documents to make it look different and then photocopying it and then sending that off to – I don't know how she's getting away with any of this. It sounds very like cut Doesn't sound like she's getting away with it. No, actually, (laughs) you're right. She's definitely not getting away with it. So uh, Jesse then pretended to be the victim. And after she tried to do this and open the account, she wanted to try and add herself under her real name, Jesse, to this account. So – my gosh. Opens an account fraudulently and then tries to add her real self to this fraud account. So she was arrested on one count of felony forgery and two counts of felony bail jumping. At this point, 
I don't know how she keeps getting bailed out of jail, but she got out again. (laughs) And just a month later, on October 18th, she was arrested for felony forgery again. This time, she had tried to pay a hotel bill with a fraudulent cashier's check. She'd actually been living at this hotel under her mother's name. I assume since she got out of jail in September, she must have been for the month, you know, that month had must have been living at this hotel, which she was staying at under her mom's name. So when the hotel called the police, Jessie once again lied about who she was and said that she was Jennifer. Jessie, as we said, is no stranger to the police by now. They know her quite well. So they confronted her on the spot for straight up lying to them. You know, like, why would you even try to lie yeah. to us now? Jesse, we, we saw we, you last week. <laughs> I know. We know who you are. So she ended up saying, you're right. I'm Jesse. I lied because of all these warrants I have out for my arrest. And by the way, I've jumped bail like four times this year. So didn't want to tell you that I was who I am. So but now I am. So go ahead and arrest <laughs> right. me. So officers, uh, upon arresting her, ended up finding four blank checks when they searched her. And three of them were just duplicates of each other. They all three had the number 110 in the upper right-hand corner, which Jesse later admitted was pretty much a mistake on her own part. She said that she printed those checks herself, and there was really no good reason why all three of them had the same number. Um, She said that she had used – tell me if you've ever heard of this, Melissa, because I sure haven't – Check printing software based off of a CD at a computer in the library. You can apparently buy software to print checks. Um, They're not a sponsor, I'll tell you that much. And I'm then not sure. She, yeah. And then she went to uh, other locations to actually print the checks. She said the software she used, though, was just very commonplace and easy for anyone to obtain. Why would you choose check number 110? They typically start with 100. So those early ones are already like, you know, it's like, This is a new account. There's already some red flags. One time? Three times? Right. The account that this check was supposed to come out of was opened two weeks earlier and was already overdrawn. And it was identified as a business account of Jesse's. How did how did she get a business account? We went through so much to get a business account. Fraudulently, we, obviously. It was I – I keep forgetting that that's the option. Yeah. But really, you go through so much to set up a business account. I can't believe right. she was able to do this. I, I can't believe we were able to do it. Uh-huh. Exactly. So Jesse was once again arrested for felony forgery. After her many arrests in 2010, Jessie pleaded guilty to a number of the charges, and she was sentenced to serve one year in prison and three years on probation. She went on and served her time and was then released as promised, and she was still on this probation when Lynn Hernan died. And we have so much more to get into after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. We are beyond excited to share that Crunch Labs is a sponsor this week. You guys have heard me tell tons of stories about my son, and his mind is absolutely amazing. But quite frankly, I can't keep up. But last year, my son and I were watching a Mark Rober video, and Mark talked about this new thing called Crunch Labs. I was immediately intrigued when I learned that it's a monthly STEM subscription build-it-yourself box for kids. We stand Mark Rober in this home, so if he was behind it, 
we were going to order it. And we've had Crunch Labs coming to our house every month for the past year. So now you know why I'm obsessed with Crunch Labs, but let me tell you a little about what you're actually getting. Each box comes with a buildable engineering toy as well as a science-packed video showing the how and the why behind each build. Not only does Mark break down how to put together the toy in your box, like our recent favorite, the Tripwire, but he teaches kids in a way that doesn't feel like being taught. After all, Mark is an amazingly successful YouTuber, so you know he knows how to speak to kids, but by the way, he's also a former NASA engineer, so he actually knows what he's talking about. Honestly, I'm so floored with every box, the amount of detail and creativity it's taken to put these things together. If you're looking for a gift your kids will actually love and use, I honestly can not recommend Crunch Labs more. Mark and his entire team at Crunch Lab have created something so special for kids like mine and yours. And right now they're offering an amazing deal. So if you still have kids on your holiday gift list, we're about to make your life a whole lot easier. Go to crunchlabs.com moms and get your kids Crunch Labs today. For the holidays, if you get an annual subscription, you can get two months free. Are you considering deodorant as a holiday gift? Enter Lumi, the dark horse of Amazon's personal care wish list. It's not your average odor fighter. It's a superhero of freshness armed with a pH-optimized formula that clinically owns the scent game all day long. And don't just take our word for it. With over 275,000 five-star reviewers, it's basically a symphony of Lumi's success. And Lumi isn't merely a deodorant. It's a lifestyle revolution. Once it graces your daily routine, you'll really wonder how you ever went without it. From your pits to your underboobs, even venturing into the uncharted territories like butt cracks and feet, Lumi confidently tackles odor, granting you a sweet escape from all the smells around you. Lumi is your festive ally, ensuring that Christmas morning and all the other mornings and days stay fresh and joyful. It's not just a deodorant, it's actually paraben-free and baking soda-free, plus it's pH balanced, so you can use it for anywhere from above the belt and below the belt. So give the gift of Lumi and transform routine freshness into a holiday revelation. I'm a huge fan of the wipes. They're so easy to use and I can use them anywhere at any time. It's really just the perfect solution. Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off Lumi Starter Pack with our exclusive code and link. And for a limited time, returning customers can get $5 off their next purchase of $30 or more too. Use code MOMS at LumiDeodorant.com. L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about the felonies, frauds, and bad checks of Jesse. Uh, Jesse was the caretaker to Lynn Hernan at the time of her death. So even though Lynn's death was initially ruled a suicide, detectives wanted the medical examiner's office to look further into things by running toxicology tests. They wanted to make sure that they looked into all possibilities since people who knew Lynn were so adamant that she was not suicidal and would not have overdosed. In January of 2019, the results were back, and they were more shocking than anyone could have imagined. So Lynn was found to have five different medications in her system, but since she was experiencing medical issues, that part's not really surprising at all. But what was surprising was that the true cause of her death was finally revealed in these toxicology results. 
they found a lethal level of tetrahydrazoline in her system. So if you're not familiar, this is the main ingredient in eye drops such as the Visine brand and countless others. It can make you extremely sick if you ingest it, and that's if you're lucky. If you're not lucky, it can literally kill you. Did you know that? That it could kill you? Yeah. I feel like anything can kill you yeah. if, if you're using it in the wrong thing. But I, I wouldn't think of this as a way to kill somebody. I never used to – like it wasn't like common knowledge to me. And the way I actually learned this is like just randomly my dad told me this like one day when my oldest son was like 18 months old or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was like a some eye drops sitting on a counter or something. And he was like, oh, put those away because if the baby like drinks them, like it could kill him. And I was like, what? Oh, wow. And so that's how I found out. And so then I looked it up and I was like, sure enough. Like I was like, wow, I didn't realize it was that toxic, like that you had to yeah. like, literally keep like if a child drank it. So anyway, if you're listening and you didn't know that, now you do. But yeah, yeah. I never heard of it. But then Melissa, surely you've seen the movie Wedding Crashers. Of course, one of my favorites. Yes, it made me think of that scene where they did put the eye drops in the, you know, the fiance guys. Bradley Cooper. Yes, and he was like Mm -hmm. a real jerk in the movie and didn't treat her very nicely. Um, Mm -hmm. And like one night they put, you know, Visine in his drink and he got really sick and was in the bathroom all night puking and throwing up. Apparently he could have been a lot worse off um, as we've learned in this story for sure. Yeah. So as for the medications that were found in Lynn's system, none of them were found in excessive amounts. They were actually all at a therapeutic level. According to the medical examiner, though, there is absolutely no reason anyone would have any tetrahydrazoline in their blood. Lynn had 160 nanograms per milliliter in hers. So this would be impossible if someone were using the eye drops in their eyes as intended. So this isn't something that would just show up. You can't accidentally do it through your eyes, right? If ingested orally, it's poisonous and leads to drowsiness. Breathing could be stopped, a low heart rate, low blood pressure, and heart block. So this new revelation, learning that she has this tetrahydrazoline in her system, was particularly interesting because first responders didn't find or notice any eye drop bottles near Lynn on the day she died. And this led the medical examiner to believe that she had been poisoned by someone else who had then staged the scene to look like Lynn overdosed on her prescription medications. Further, the medical examiner thought it was possible that Lynn was forcibly administered some of the pills they found in her system after she was heavily sedated by these eye drops. Although there were many factors that contributed to her death, including hypertension, liver disease, and obstructive pulmonary disease, the eye drops were far more toxic than the prescription she was taking, and her death was officially listed as a homicide by tetrahydrazoline poisoning. As a result of these new findings, the investigation into Lynn's death was reopened, but the police didn't let on that they were investigating the case as a homicide. On March 9th, investigators met with Jesse and her mom, Jennifer, at the sheriff's department, where Jesse came across immediately suspicious. She just had a little bit too much of an interest in things that were related to Lynn's death, and she told them that she herself had been calling the medical examiner's office numerous times, asking for the toxicology results, but they were refusing to share them with her. And why would they? So during this meeting, though, she seemed just overall very, very concerned with the, you know, results of those tests and finding out for herself what those results were. She explained that she had become the caretaker for Lynn because her mom, Jennifer, was too busy to continue helping Lynn the way she needed help. 
So Jessie had been going to Lynn's house daily for the previous six months, but she had been going twice a day in the two weeks leading up to Lynn's death. According to Jessie, Lynn had many ailments and many medical problems, and she was frustrated that her doctors could just never get to the bottom of it, they never could give her a diagnosis or really give her any relief. She also said that Lynn didn't take her medications properly while she was in the hospital, and they also weren't giving her Xanax, which is something that she was allegedly used to taking. So according to Jessie, Lynn would ask her, Jessie, to go to her house and bring her bottle of Xanax to her at the hospital, even though Lynn wasn't supposed to have it there. Jessie said Lynn's refusal to cooperate with taking the medications properly at the hospital was so concerning that the hospital staff even put cameras in her hospital room. Have you ever heard of that? Did they just have cameras floating around to be like, that person looks like trouble. Let's put them in there. No. And if it was a case like that, I feel like it would be somebody who had like a very long documented history of substance abuse that you were really keeping an eye on. I don't feel like they were doing this for Lynn, who was in the hospital because of her I it just clearly don't. had medical issues. Right, exactly. So Lynn was allegedly so embarrassed by these health issues that she didn't want anyone to see her or to know that she had been hospitalized. Jesse told the investigators that she was suspicious that Lynn had died by suicide because she was tired of being sick and not having any answers. So keep in mind, at this point, it's been a few months since Lynn's death, and at the same time that all of this is coming out, there were also issues arising with Lynn's estate. Supposedly, Lynn had left her estate to Jesse and a young college kid that she considered to be her quote-unquote nephew, and we're going to refer to him as Adam, but that's not his real name. Apparently, Adam had met up with Lynn multiple times in the months leading up to her death and that she would sometimes try bringing up how she wanted him to have certain things of hers if something were to happen to her. He dismissed these conversations as just being awkward because he said he just wanted to spend time with her and not worry about having her things. During these visits, Lynn told Adam about a locked box that she kept at her bank with a large sum of money inside. The reports say that it was between $10,000 and $50,000. We're not exactly sure how much was in there. Lynn allegedly told Adam that she wanted him to have this money to help with his college expenses. She told him where to find the key for this box, which was in a cabinet. Adam knew that he was in Lynn's will, but he didn't know to what extent. After Lynn passed away, Jesse contacted Adam and told him he was a beneficiary and that he needed to get together and discuss things. So she ended up having Adam sign off on a consent for herself to be the personal representative of Lynn's estate. How nice of her. So Jesse told Adam that he and his family could come over to Lynn's house and take anything they wanted. Also, how nice of her. I, it really is. She's basically the hero in the story. So Adam looked for the key to the lockbox, but said that it was gone from the cabinet, which Jesse told him had actually been emptied months earlier. Adam also searched for a bracelet that Lynn wanted his uncle to have, but Jesse convinced him that it actually just made more sense to sell the bracelet. Hmm. So since Adam already knew that he was entitled to some part of the estate, he was privy to seeing the final accounting of where all the money from the estate would be going. And when he got a look at this accounting, red flags just went up left and right. So for starters, the final account statement for the whole estate was something like $26,000, which was really strange considering Lynn's house was worth $145,000 alone. 
The estate showed that Lynn had over $100,000 in credit card and other debt, which also struck Adam as being really, really weird because Lynn had personally told him that she didn't have any credit cards other than a Kohl's card and some other store credit cards. Adam said he only ever saw her using cash or checks to buy things, and he knew that she was more frugal with money and never carried a high balance on her cards. So having over $100,000 in debt just seemed really astounding and just truly unbelievable to him. Adam asked Jesse and her attorney to give him more information about this, and Jesse responded by giving him some receipts. Some of these receipts matched the final accounting, but others didn't. And Adam would later learn that many of these receipts were actually fraudulent. We are dealing with Jesse after all. But in the meantime, Jesse was able to convince him that Lynn really did rack up all that debt. So in the end, he settled the remaining $26,000 estate with Jesse by splitting it in half with her. Wow. Yeah. Adam also said that Jesse gave him a set of letters that were supposedly written by Lynn. These letters talked about how Lynn was unhappy in the last few months of her life, but Adam said he didn't delve very deep into the letters and really didn't even believe that the handwriting was Lynn's. In addition to these letters, Jesse also gave Adam some documents that were notarized and dated in January of 2016. There was a detailed list of who was to get property of Lynn's after she passed away, and the list included Jesse, Adam's mom, and Lynn's longtime friend. But... Adam actually wasn't included in this list. Adam was suspicious of the documents because his mother's maiden name was used and her first name was actually spelled wrong, which just didn't seem like something that Lynn would do. So Adam ultimately just didn't believe that Lynn actually wrote those documents. All of this led to Adam reaching out to attorneys for help, but his concerns were actually dismissed by a couple of them until he eventually found an attorney named Elizabeth Taylor to help him. In early July, Jesse's boyfriend, who was referred to as Brad, was interviewed and gave information that actually contradicted things that Jesse had previously told the investigators. So according to Brad, Jesse visited Lynn's home once or twice a month before her hospitalization, but they spoke on the phone every day and Jesse helped Lynn with shopping and bill paying. Brad said that he never met Lynn himself and he never saw any mail or credit card applications at his house. But he thought Jesse had a P.O. box where she was picking up Lynn's mail. Brad said he knew Jesse was the power of attorney for health care over Lynn and that she was also the executor of Lynn's will. He said that about five months before Lynn's death, Jesse texted him and told him that Lynn was very sick after having overdosed and that she was in a coma. So according to what Jesse told Brad, Lynn never came out of that coma, and he actually thought that she was still in the hospital the entire time leading up to her death. He believed that when Jesse was going to visit her, she was going to visit her in the hospital a few times a week. So this was the first time police had ever heard anything about Lynn being in a coma. Nobody she knew, including Jesse, had ever mentioned anything of the sort. So when investigators start looking into it, they discover that... Lynn had never been in a coma, nor had she been hospitalized for a five-month period before her death. So Jesse's now been lying to her boyfriend, Brad, and he had no idea. I can't imagine keeping up a lie as big as this person is in a coma in the hospital for that many months. I can't imagine trying to keep any of this straight because you're telling everyone's getting a somewhat of a different story, but enough big things that if you do like slip up, it's going to be bad. Yeah. So 
How did Jesse explain Lynn's death to Brad, you ask? According to what he told the police, Jesse sent him a text on the day that Lynn died, which was October the 3rd. But she told him that Lynn had died in the hospital because that's where she was in a coma, of course. And she said that she was going to go to the hospital to deal with things. It was noted that the timing of this text did not line up with when Jesse actually dialed 911 that day, which again proved that she was lying to Brad. Later that evening, when Brad saw Jesse in person, she appeared to be upset and crying, but Brad, you know, kind of thought that since Lynn had been hospitalized and was in a coma for all these months, it was somewhat expected to him that, you know, she would pass away. To him, it wasn't very surprising. So in another interesting lie to Brad, Jesse claimed that she herself had actually been poisoned with Visine. Brad went back and found the exact date of this interaction, and it was Saturday, January 12th, 2019. That's 10 months before Lynn's death. On that night, Jesse had gone out with some friends to a concert, and she came home at around 1 o'clock in the morning and started making herself something to eat, but she was just being really loud in the kitchen, and it woke Brad up and irritated him because he was trying to sleep. So he got up and asked her to quiet down and noticed that Jesse seemed a little what he called buzzed up. And at some point, Jesse told him that she just didn't feel well, but he didn't recall her getting sick or, you know, anything like that. She was just awake for a while, and then she apparently drove herself to the hospital at around 6 o'clock in the morning and came back at about 9 a.m. When she got home, she told Brad that the hospital tested her and told her that she was drugged with Visine, and they notified the police, which is what doctors are required to do if they suspect that somebody has been drugged. According to Brad, this was never brought up again, and huh. Jesse never mentioned any follow-ups with the police or any kind of follow-up regarding being drugged at a club. Which feels like a very big deal and something you would want to And if you didn't on. get followed up on, you would be m making noise about that. So after hearing all of this, investigators informed Brad that Sorry, much of what Jesse told you was actually a lie, including the part about Lynn being in a coma for five months. Of course, Brad is shocked when he learns the truth, because all this time, he's been admiring what a wonderful thing Jesse has been doing by taking care of Lynn. And so naturally, he feels like very stupid when he learns none of this has been true. So Brad decided to, at this point, elaborate more to the police on all the things that Jesse told him about Lynn's alleged hospital stay. He said Jesse told him that Lynn had a DNR, do not resuscitate, request in her will, and that about four to six weeks before she died, the hospital had actually resuscitated her, which was against her written wishes. And Jesse said that because of this, she had already contacted an attorney, because this is malpractice, and that this was actually being looked into and taken care of. So Brad had an ex-wife, and her name was Rachel, and the two of them had children together. And so Rachel ends up being interviewed by police as well. So this is also wild to me, because Rachel, the ex-wife of Jesse's boyfriend, actually was being given expensive gifts, like $100 gift certificates to the spa, which is really weird considering Jesse doesn't make that much money. And also, it's your new boyfriend's ex-wife that you're giving these gifts to? I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, to the spa? Like, you're sending your the, you're sending your boyfriend's ex-wife to the spa? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I really don't see the connection here whatsoever. But maybe I'm just not a very nice person. I don't know. So Rachel questions where these 
you know, the money for these gifts are coming from. And she thought it made the most sense for Jesse to be charging it all on credit cards since she knew that she and Brad didn't make enough money to afford this like frivolous spending. Rachel thought that Jesse had a spending problem and just must be in massive amounts of credit card debt. Additionally, Jesse would buy expensive gifts for Brad and Rachel's kids for Christmas, things like laptops and Game Boys. And so after a while, Rachel starts to question whether these large gifts were even coming from Lynn's accounts. Jesse had also told Rachel that Lynn was in a coma, but said that the hospital was going to clear out all of her hospital fees and there would be no charge for her care and treatment, which doesn't that sound like something... um, giant hospital is going to do just (laughs) zero out your fees? I mean, I guess in a case of legitimate malpractice, like if something did happen, okay, I think that's where she was kind of going with that, that this is stemming back from how they resuscitated her, you know, and it was against her wishes. And so because of that, because of the hospital's error in doing that, they're going to just waive all of her hospital care. Okay, that makes much more sense because I'm like, are we just acting like right. this big? I thought the same thing at first, and then I remembered the thing about how uh, supposedly she had this attorney involved. And so it. I think that's where that came from. Now this is the resolution that Jesse has come up with for that. Oh, why? So now, okay. So Keep now the hospital stay is free, which is convenient since there's no hospital stay. Yeah, that does help. <laughs> so we're coming full circle here, <laughs> right? So even Brad and Rachel's daughter thought that the gift giving was extreme and that Jesse spent money way out of her pay grade. One time, Jesse even offered to buy plane tickets for Rachel, again, her boyfriend's ex-wife, so that Rachel could travel abroad to Thailand while her daughter was there studying. So the daughter also mentioned that Jesse told her about this malpractice issue having to do with Lynn and said Jesse told her that they settled the issue out of court by clearing all of Lynn's hospital fees like you were saying. So finally, investigators spoke with a cousin of Brad's who lived with Brad and Jesse in 2018. During this time, Jesse claimed to be working at a dental office, but as time went on, the cousin started to think that Jesse actually had no job. When he confronted her about it, she admitted that she hadn't worked for months, but she also hadn't told Brad this. This is wild. (laughs) Yeah, this is something you see in a movie. So she would get up every morning, put on her scrubs, and leave home, only to return several hours later as if she had just worked all day. What? (laughs) Yeah. So even with no income, Jesse's still spending money on gifts and paying dinner tabs, as well as going to the casino. And the cousin said there was just this constant, constant spending. So Jesse was taken into custody on July 9th after a search warrant was served at Brad and Jesse's home. She was put on a probation and parole hold, meaning she was taken into custody for violating her probation, not for Lynn's murder at this particular moment. Jessie was taken to jail where this time she would have to stay for a while. Between July 9th and July 19th, investigators spoke with Jessie six times. Sometimes these meetings were actually at her request. And the story she told continued to evolve in the most fascinating of ways. She's already changed so much about the story right you and like you said how do you keep up with all of this this is where things start going sideways i feel like she starts losing it a little bit at this point so investigators told jesse that they knew she told brad that lynn was in a coma and had been since may of 2018 and obviously they knew that that was a lie she tried to deny that she ever said this but the police had these text messages that she sent to brad as proof on july 9th 
Jesse said that she was frustrated, that there still weren't any answers about why Lynn died. She, you know, said that she hadn't heard one way or the other, whether it was a medical event or whether Lynn died by suicide. We don't know. It's possible that, you know, Jesse's just trying to get the investigators to reveal information because, of course, the more information she knows that they know, the more easy time she, she has stay planning in front of it. Yeah, her next move, mm-hmm. you know, her next story. So Jesse continued on telling the investigators that Lynn was capable of functioning mostly on her own and she handled the bulk of her own finances and things like that. But, you know, Lynn had good days and bad days and that when she was having bad days, Jesse would just assist her. But she said there was no official payment arrangement or anything for this caregiving. She said Lynn would sometimes give her checks or give her a credit card to use um, or sometimes would just cover her rent or her car payment. Jesse also claimed that Lynn would always say that she wanted to spend all of her own money before she died. And as you may have guessed, that might not have been the case. And we're going to get into the rest of this crazy story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Tis the season for gift giving, and if you want to be everyone's favorite gift giver, you should check out Quince. Quince is the go-to for luxury essentials that are actually at affordable prices, so you can take care of everyone on your list, including yourself, all at one place. The last thing you want to do is be the person who's known for bad gift giving, but if you're shopping with Quince, it's actually impossible. Quince has a huge range of high quality items with prices that won't break the bank. Things like their incredible 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters starting at just $50, all the way to their washable silk tops and dresses. And of course, we all survived 2020, so we know the importance of cotton sweaters and comfy pants. When I first learned about Quince, I was like, okay, well, what's the catch? How can you actually make these things from real cashmere and sell them for so little? Turns out the Quince works directly with top factories, so they completely skip the cost of the middleman and the savings go to you, the customers. I actually got the Mongolian cashmere fisherman cropped cardigan sweater in gray, and not only is it comfortable, but I can dress it up or dress it down depending on the day and mood, all while wearing real actual cashmere, which is not something I owned before because quite frankly, it was too expensive. But with Quince, quality fashion doesn't have to break the bank. Get affordable luxury for everyone on your list with Quince. Go to quince.com slash moms for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash moms to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash moms. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's the happiest time of year, or so that's what we're told. While the holidays can be a wonderful time to share with friends and family, for some people, it can be quite the opposite. And even if you enjoy all things holidays, the stress leading up to it can be palpable. With BetterHelp, though, you can help yourself get through the holidays and beyond. I'm a big believer in therapy. It's something I've done on and off throughout my entire life and really have had more than one or two aha moments. But beyond that, it's so nice to be able to take those racing thoughts in my head and just spill it to a licensed therapist without judgment. Whether you're looking to work through a specific problem or you just want help navigating the holidays, you should check out BetterHelp. 
One of my favorite things about BetterHelp is that it's completely online. So you don't have to factor in the drive to a therapist and the wait room and the drive home into your scheduling time. BetterHelp is extremely flexible and it's meant to work with you and your schedule. And getting started is super easy. You just fill out a quick questionnaire about yourself and get matched to a licensed therapist right away. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes... Not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. And now back to the episode. So before the break, the cracks are really showing. Jesse is being caught in lies. She still wants to know, you know, what police know. They're obviously not giving all this information up to her. But eventually the detectives told Jesse about the toxicology results and that they found a fatal dose of tetrahydrazoline in Lynn's blood. All of a sudden, Jesse has a lot to say about how Lynn used eye drops frequently, to the point that Lynn was allegedly, quote, known for using eye drops, end quote, and that she purchased them in large quantities. Haven't you ever known, known a person that's known for using eye drops? <laughs> it's like it's like a superlative in high school known for using eye drops no that's not a thing no. no of course not and she also said you know there are there would be bottles and boxes of eye drops all over lynn's house and she said she would buy as many as six bottles of eye drops at any time anytime she was at the store she'd be buying them and she would ask jesse to buy them for her as well not surprisingly, this was the first time investigators had heard about Lynn's alleged eye drop usage. Addiction? She was just <laughs> pounding it. Yeah. It reminds me of what's the nose spray um, that Afrin. people do get. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, Afrin that people do get addicted to. I've never heard of that for eye drops. No. No. And certainly not in this way. No, no, it's it's just wild. So Jesse also claimed that Lynn drank alcohol in excess and she abused her medications, causing her to become severely impaired at times. She also claimed that Lynn insinuated on three different occasions that she was thinking about taking her own life, saying things like, quote, I don't want to do this anymore, end quote, and that she was sick of being sick. Jesse alleged that Lynn asked her for, quote unquote, help dying, and Jesse refused. But then Lynn started to refuse food, and her body began shutting down. According to Jesse, she had been at Lynn's house on the day of her death, but she denied crushing up any pills for Lynn during this visit. She did, however, claim that Lynn had a hard time swallowing her pills whole, and sometimes they did need to be crushed up. She said they actually had an argument that day about how Lynn was abusing her medications. 
So after Jessie gets done with her whole spiel, investigators tell her that, by the way, the toxicology tests show that Lynn was not abusing her medications. They're all within the therapeutic range. You know, she's not taking too much. She's not taking too little. And again, it was the tetrahydrazoline that actually killed her. Jessie then said, yeah, that's because that's what Lynn wanted. She said Lynn had looked at methods of suicide before and that she always wanted to go out in her own way. So Jessie continued to try and maintain her grasp on this story as these detectives were really starting to kind of shut her down at every turn. When they mentioned that the medical examiner believed Lynn was poisoned by someone else other than herself and that there were no eyedrop bottles nearby, Jessie tried to say that maybe there weren't any near her, but duh, there's eyedrops all over the house. So she committed to the story and said that she thought it was just so strange that the other toxicology results would show normal levels of Lynn's other medications. How could that be possible when Jessie, the expert, is telling you that she abuses them? Right. So when the investigators told her that the medical examiner also thought that the crushed pills and the whole scene near Lynn's body had been staged, Jessie said... That's not possible. She said she was the only one there that day and she didn't stage anything. So Lynn must have done all of this on her own. Jesse adamantly denied killing Lynn or assisting her with suicide, and she denied giving her any eye drops. They asked her why she had called her own mother four minutes before she dialed 911 to report that Lynn was dead. And Jesse said she actually didn't even remember doing that. She said she'd never even heard of Visine poisoning before, which police also knew is a lie because Brad told them about the whole thing where Jesse claimed to have been poisoned with Visine herself less than a year earlier. So she definitely knew this was a thing. And so soon, Jesse, you know, realizes that she's been caught and she goes on the defensive and she tells the investigators that she wasn't buying what the medical examiner was saying. <laughs> I can't even barely get through that without laughing because it's so outrageous. So she's not buying what the medical examiner is saying. And As if they care what right. she thinks about that. Exactly. And at this point, she decides to jump ship on that story and go with a whole new one, an even crazier one. So she told the detectives that she personally saw Lynn drinking Visine with vodka on the day before her death. But she admitted to having no rational reason for never mentioning any of this in the interviews before. But now, Jesse was saying that Lynn actually became sick from drinking Visine, not just once, but many times before, and that she had been testing out various doses of Visine and vodka together in an attempt to find the combination that would result in suicide. How does that make any sense? Make it make sense. Like microdosing Visine? That's not... If you're... End goal is to end your life. I think right. you just go until it was over. How does that make any sense to say that she was mm -mm. testing out on different occasions? She would test this, test that. That's not how it's not of a that. makeup palette, right? That's not how it works. So she, Jesse, continued to deny that she herself had ever mixed any Visine in any water bottle or into any vodka to ever give Lynn. But she did admit that she had purchased Visine for Lynn in the past, even though she didn't agree with it. She claimed she was constantly suspicious that water bottles all around the house were contaminated with Visine in them. Like, imagine living that life. You don't even know. Like, every bottle you see, you're like, is there Visine in there? 
That's what she's <laughs> alleging is happening at Lynn's house. Jesse further said that Lynn used her phone to look up various methods of suicide and had even purchased a gun on the internet, which Jesse supposedly disposed of. And she claimed that this was just one of the many times that she had saved Lynn from harming herself. Jesse was confronted about what she told Brad months earlier regarding being poisoned with Visine during a night out and having to go to the hospital. And during this interview, she told them that that night back in January, she actually drank Visine voluntarily just to see what it was like. I forgot. I do that on the weekends. How did I forget this yeah. whole time? I'm just like her. Yep. And as predicted, it made her sick. So she what? went to the hospital. And said that she was drugged. So finally, she told the police that she knew Lynn was drinking Visine and vodka the night before her death. That was a fact, according to Jesse. But she also said that, you know, she was very upset and very mad at Lynn because she took the easy way out. This lady's a monster. And once again, how many times have we seen this where the person that's responsible actually like sets himself up to be the hero it makes me yeah. absolutely crazy but that's so much of what's this happening. is just one of the most wild elaborate cases of like somebody trying to cover their tracks yeah um mm-hmm. i mean you we always hear wild and crazy stories that you know that these these perpetrators try to come up with to get their way out of it but this is truly out there because so many components of this are just like not believable whatsoever so it's like no no, it sounds like a toddler is making up like what happened. You know what it looks like? It looks like ChatGPT told her how to set this right. up. Like she just said, how do I get rid of somebody? And yeah. it was like, here's the plan. And she just read it line by line because it makes no sense. Yeah. But even just like to say these outrageous things, like to say that someone was just dropping Visine in their water and dr- sipping it all day long, like who And you're would just terrified that? of every right. water bottle. <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. That's at all. I can't. At all. So in another interview on July 11th, Jesse reiterated that she had not poisoned Lynn, and she said that the water bottle seen in the photographs from the day of Lynn's death actually had six bottles of Visine in it. She said that Lynn had just been sipping away on Visine water for so long that she had basically become immune to it. So when Lynn asked Jesse to bring the Visine water over for her to drink, Jesse complied because she didn't think anything would happen. And as she put it, it was Lynn's choice. Jesse then said she knew she was probably going to prison for the rest of her life because she helped Lynn do what she wanted. Jesse then said that she had told them everything and that was it. The next day, Jesse's interviewed again, and this time she tells detectives that she has a bunch of items in a storage unit that she had, of course, rented out in someone else's name because her name is no good in this town. And this would <laughs> prove <laughs> that Lynn took her own life and that she wasn't murdered. So she says there were recordings of Lynn's wishes, a partial firearm, dated Visine bottles, Lynn's safety deposit box, and papers that Lynn had signed. Jessie said she kept all these things in the storage unit just in case anything ever happened, which thank goodness so for her. So she has like did. the foresight, right, to think like, oh, you yeah. know what? One day Lynn's going to drink enough Visine and it's going to look really bad for me, so I better start saving all of these things so I can give them to the police. Like but also, I'm not going to tell the police right. when this starts what happened, even though I have I've rented a place right. to keep the, the <laughs> makes no sense. So unfortunately, though, Jesse wasn't going to release these items to the police until she was good and ready. So she actually 
tried to work out a deal where she would turn these items over if her probation hold was lifted for just a week or two so she could, quote unquote, (laughs) get things in order. She assured them that during this time, she was not going to try to flee and she would also wear an electronic monitor. (laughs) So one of the detectives commented that it was pretty mind boggling that Jesse was claiming to have the information, as we said, that would help her case, yet she was withholding it. Right. She's like, this is going to get me off scot-free, but But I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) If you don't want it. Oh, my gosh. So ultimately, Jesse was like, actually, you know what? That storage unit. I didn't put them in the storage (laughs) unit. I buried them several feet underground in the park in freezer bags. Okay. Okay. So she draws up a map for investigators to follow the buried – to find the buried evidence, like this treasure map. And, Mandy, you're never going to believe this. They didn't find anything. No way. But – don't worry. Jesse promised, if you'll just bring me there, I will show you where it is. That's it. That's all I'm asking for. And so, unfortunately, they don't let her do this. But they do let her watch as investigators search the park via video call <laughs> so that she could tell them where to go. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, some of the most crazy and insane parts of this story to me are, like, all these desperate ways that Jesse tried to convince the police of her innocence and even the ex- insane explanations that she came up with on the spot every time she realized the police were actually one step ahead of her. So this search of the park is one example. So while they're searching the park with Jesse on video call directing them where to go, she took notice that the officers were using a metal detector to try and locate these alleged items that were buried. And she had already told them that some of these items included parts of a firearm. So that would set off a metal detector. Right. So immediately she's like, oh gosh, they got a metal detector out there. There's a no metal in the ground, so I better come up with some explanation for that. So she piped up and said, you know what, guys? The gun actually might have been made out of plastic pieces. Don't you hate when you order a plastic gun off of Timu and not the real thing? Yeah. She said none of the metal components that went to the gun were actually buried. It was only the plastic pieces, which, as you said, I'm not really sure that there is such a gun. So (laughs) how convenient is that, though, that – yeah. There's no metal, so that metal detector is going to be useless. Not going to work. So that same day, Jesse continued trying to cover her butt, and she told officers that any financial transactions that she did make with Lynn's accounts were all done so with Lynn's consent. And she was sure that she had never written any checks from Lynn's accounts. She only ever signed Lynn's name on a check if it was for a bill, and Lynn was sitting right there giving her consent. She said that Lynn wrote a lot of checks, more than the average person even, and that she would give people large sums of money, up to even $50,000 in one instance. Jesse's final interview with investigators was on July 19th, and she maintained that she had all of those items buried somewhere in a park, again, items that could supposedly prove what happened to Lynn and exonerate Jesse, but... Those things were never located. So after Jesse was taken into custody, her phone was searched and authorities found that she had deleted a number of files regarding criminal poisoning, cyanide poisoning, and household poisons, all of which she actually first accessed in July of 2018, and she had on her phone until she deleted them between February and June of 2019. So after Jesse went to jail, two of her fellow inmates told police about some things that Jesse had been saying to them. 
One inmate said that Jesse was her roommate at one time, and while they were bunking together, Jesse had some kind of emotional breakdown where she admitted to putting several bottles of Visine into Lynn's water bottle to kill her. Jesse said she put the Visine in the water in the morning and then went back later that night. Jesse said she bought the Visine at multiple different stores and said she used her phone to look up information about Visine poisoning online, and she even had a friend help her delete the search from her device. She also said that her mom, Jennifer, wanted her to keep quiet about killing Lynn. She said everyone thought she did it for the money, but really, she did it to stop Lynn's suffering. Another inmate who roomed with Jesse said that she was told Lynn died after taking too much medication, but that Jesse admitted to using Lynn's money to pay bills, buy furniture and TVs, go to the casino, give her boyfriend's ex-wife a spa gift card, and of course, she also wrote checks to herself. Through interviews with many people who did know Lynn, it became clear that she was not known for giving away large amounts of money the way that Jesse was claiming. Adam told them he seriously doubted that Lynn would have racked up over $100,000 in credit card debt and told them more about these other issues that he was actually having with Lynn's estate. Another close friend said that while Lynn was a very generous person, she only ever gave inexpensive gifts and she never gave cash. She always was very, very frugal. This same friend also mentioned that Lynn had about $50,000 in cash stored in a lockbox that was meant for Adam to inherit but he never got it. It was learned that the safety deposit box was accessible by Lynn, Jesse, Jennifer, and Adam. But out of all four people, Jesse was the only person to visit and access the box before Lynn even died. Lynn's ex-boyfriend, who was in contact with her until she died, agreed that Lynn was very careful with her money, and she never gave it away freely. He also said that Lynn never expressed any suicidal thoughts to him. Another friend said that even though Lynn had spoke about her declining health, she never mentioned any financial struggles or thoughts of ending her life. When police dug deeper into the financial records of both Lynn and Jesse, they noticed a significant change in Lynn's spending habits at the same time that Jesse assumed the role of her caretaker. So before Jesse entered the picture, Lynn had about $350,000 in her accounts. Most of that came from an inheritance. She had limited credit card usage, and she always made modest purchases and made the payments on time. After Jesse showed up in her life, Lynn's accounts showed higher usage, and numerous credit cards started being maxed out. There were minimal payments being made to these cards over several months. And this, of course, only points to one thing. Jesse is responsible for the change in spending habits that's reflected on Lynn's accounts. It was also learned that Jesse had bought two unassembled guns using Lynn's credit card and also using a fake email, but she provided her real phone number for the contact information, and she arranged for a FedEx hold on one of the packages. One thing about Jesse is she's going to keep it convenient for herself. She's going to get her name on the She's going to use her real name. Yep. Yeah, she's going <laughs> to get it text to her. Right. So Jesse was also found to have impersonated Lynn in phone calls to Lynn's banks. She ended up actually securing a fraudulent loan in Lynn's name in the amount of $30,000, and she further obtained credit cards in Lynn's name and sold her jewelry. And just to really kind of bring it home with the level of audacity this woman had, she opened a JCPenney credit card with Lynn's information on the day Lynn died. My gosh. On October 3rd. So the shipping address that she 
put to be associated with this new account was listed as the address where she herself and her boyfriend lived. Are we sure it didn't have her name on it again? Because she wants to give all the breadcrumbs. She wants to give the whole left loaf to police and just say, it's me. So at the time of Lynn's death, the total cash assets available to her between her three accounts had diminished to just $4,221, while her debts had soared to over $100,000. Out of 22 checks written from one account... 20 of them were made out to Jesse, and the total between these checks amounted to over $134,000. When Lynn died, this account only had $88 in it. Jesse had wiped it completely out. And after Jesse stole all the cash she could, she set her sights on Lynn's estate, which was valued at about $150,000. But someone's estate is only good if they're dead. And that's when investigators think Jesse started to plan Lynn's murder. It was confirmed that Jesse continued using Lynn's credit cards after her death. All in all, Jesse stole approximately $290,000 from Lynn and spent the money on lavish gifts for herself, her friends, Brad, Brad's ex-wife, and kids. Financial records showed that gambling was still very much an issue for Jesse, and she had spent over $23,000 in two casinos over the course of a year. Another account showed purchases and or withdrawals at one casino that totaled over $31,000. Sadly, even though investigators were getting to the bottom of what happened to Lynn, the issues surrounding her estate still persisted. So Adam contacted his lawyer, Elizabeth Taylor, and again informed her that police were finally looking into Jesse for Lynn's death. Together, they go through Lynn's probate case very carefully, and by the end of it, this attorney was very suspicious, and she agreed that it made no sense that Lynn would have so much debt. Other red flags were noted here as well. Jesse created false documents showing that payments were made towards some of Lynn's debts. However, it was determined that the receipts showing those payments were fabricated, and the alleged debts that were being paid with the assets of the estate were on accounts that never belonged to Lynn and were not, in fact, debts of the estate. So approximately $15,933 was stolen from Lynn's estate in this manner. In another scam that Jesse pulled in February of 2019, she took out a quote-unquote inheritance loan which is where a beneficiary can get a percentage of their inheritance up front from a lender and pay it back at a high interest rate. So Jesse received $10,000 for the loan and agreed to repay the lender up to $18,700 for the loan. I did not realize it was that much of a penalty. That is wild. That is probably worse than my student loan uh, <laughs> I mean, it will make you think twice about if you needed to pull that money out, for sure. Yeah, you would You would have to, have to need uh-huh. that money to do something like that. And so, obviously, if she paid it back before, it could have been less, but that could be, like, the maximum. So, within two months, Jessie sold Lynn's condo, and then she paid back the lender. But when she paid the lender... She actually paid with the estate funds and not the inherited funds, which is not how it's supposed to happen. And so this attorney also found out that there was about $50,000 taken from the estate account over a series of transactions, including cash withdrawals and checks written out to Jesse or her mother. After uncovering all of this information, and it is a lot of information, Elizabeth, the attorney, petitioned to have Adam named the personal representative of Lynn's estate, which thankfully was granted. Jesse tried to file an amended handwritten will, 
which of course named herself and her mother as beneficiaries to Lynn's estate. I guess she's like, oh, by the way, surprise, I forgot I had this. Uh, but the probate court it was in didn't, the plastic bag yeah, in the in the ground <laughs> that we dug up. Yeah, but the probate court didn't accept this. I can't believe that she would even try at this point to uh, like leave it alone, lady. It's really something. So additionally, Jesse also filed a number of letters that were allegedly written by Lynn, and these letters were quite bizarre and talked about how the original will that was submitted, the original will, was actually a test for Adam. And if he were to contest anything at all in this test will, then he wouldn't get anything in the real will. Because I'm sorry. I guess even from the grave, Lynn just has jokes, I guess. I don't know. Like, yeah. I've never heard of such a thing. Uh, this feels very Willy Wonka to me. Right. Like passing, like that feels like where she got this idea from. Right. Like I guess her thing was like, oh, if he was grateful for what he was getting, then it was going to be good. But if he wasn't grateful, then he didn't get anything. And she was the one to make that determination, I guess. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. is right. So all of these issues regarding Lynn's estate um, are actually still open in court as they wait for Jesse's trial to finish before they make any final decisions. Given all the evidence and information that authorities found out, they were sure Jesse had murdered Lynn in order to keep stealing from her. She was charged with one count of first-degree homicide and two counts of theft and held on a $1 million bond. Opening statements in her trial began on October 24, 2023. The prosecution argued that Jesse had been stealing from Lynn for years before she murdered her and that by the fall of 2018, Lynn was worth more dead than alive in Jesse's eyes. So she poisoned her with eye drops by putting six bottles of Visine into Lynn's water and then leaving her there to drink it and to die. They said that Jesse actually came back later and staged the scene to look like a suicide before she dialed 911. Once Lynn was dead, Jessie didn't even miss a beat before she continued stealing from her. Jessie's defense argued that Lynn had spent all of her own money because she was threatened with going to a nursing home, which was something she didn't want to do. They said all the money Jessie got from Lynn was given to her legitimately and as a gift, and, you know, that Lynn was just like a mother to Jessie, and that's where she wanted all this money to go. Well, we've already seen how she treats her own mother, stealing her identification and everything. So it's not surprising she says that. So the defense really tried their best to convince the jury that Lynn's death was not a murder, but was due to a quote unquote polydrug overdose suicide, which is a lethal mixture of drugs in her system, which she took on purpose to end her own life. They said, quote, Lynn liked her vodka. She also liked Visine. I have no idea why, end quote. (laughs) Because it sounds insane. (laughs) They're like, we're just having to say this. We don't get it either, guys. And they also claim that, quote, no one has ever died from Visine. It's never happened, end quote, which really just isn't true at all. Also, my favorite, quote, nobody likes Visine, end quote, which is wild because, (laughs) like, when you think of eye drops, I think Visine. So they're doing a pretty good job with branding, if nothing else. Just wild. And so witnesses are brought in to testify about Lynn's alleged suicidal thoughts. There was a nurse who cared for Lynn that testified that Lynn had been a patient of hers since 1991. Lynn was being treated for pain, but by December of 2017, her pain was getting worse, and a urine test showed that Lynn wasn't taking her medications as prescribed. So the nurse suggested that Lynn see a pain specialist, but she didn't want to. 
So the defense brought in other witnesses to testify that Lynn did not die from tetrahydrazoline poisoning at all. There was a forensic pathologist that said Lynn's medical history was significant and that her cause of death was mixed drug toxicity with the manner of death being undetermined. The toxicologist also testified for the defense and stated that based on Lynn's toxicology results, she would have to have ingested 33 to 42 pills before her death and that she had the equivalent of one teaspoon of tetrahydrazoline in her stomach. The toxicologist said that if Lynn had been overdosed with the tetrahydrazoline, she wouldn't have been able to swallow so many pills because she would have been too drowsy. On cross-examination, prosecutors emphasized that this toxicologist was neither a medical examiner nor a coroner and that at a previous court hearing, this same toxicologist said that he calculated that Lynn had ingested 21 to 28 pills, not 33 to 42, like he testified to in the trial. We both believe that this may be the most shocking thing of all, that Jessie did not take the stand in her own defense. She did not seem to be worried about getting caught in lies, so I'm really surprised that she didn't Me do this, too. Right? Like it's, it would seem like she would be just itching to get up there and tell her side of the story again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So on November 14th, 2023, which at the time of recording was just a few weeks ago, Jesse was found guilty on all counts. And okay, this came up today. And so this is brand new Brand new news. Um, I wish we had a news alert going off. Literally, we just got this information like an hour before we started recording this. <laughs> we did. So you guys are first to hear it. So on November 30th, uh, the, one of her defense attorneys actually files a motion to withdraw themselves from the case. And Mandy, would you like to know why they want to be withdrawn from this case? I, I mean, I could think of a million reasons personally. <laughs> This is wild. So apparently the the defense attorney wants to be removed from the case because they find out about some 37-page handwritten letter that Jesse has written. And so she's written this letter, 37 pages, on the back of like her papers in court where she was taking notes, where she's actually asking a friend in these notes during her court case, hey, could you forge audio pretending to be Lynn Stop to this. help convince people that she was actually severely ill and took her own life? So here's a quote. This is what she wanted her friend to say. By the way, she was like, use a raspy voice. You can maybe use a computer program, whatever. But here's what she so wants So she's to pulling say, right? in a friend that she wants to also like fake impersonate a person. Oh, my gosh. While they're testifying and saying, she's lying, she's lying, she's like writing on the back of her paper. And another thing, can you say this? And another thing. pages. Next to her attorneys, she's doing this. So here's the quote that she wanted this friend to say. Quote, Jesse, I'm sorry to leave you like this. And I'm assuming you'll be the one to find me after all you've done for me, all the times you saved my life. I know if it wasn't for you, I would have been dead months ago. You've been my rock. You're stronger than anyone I know, and now I need you to take care of your mom, for I know you did all you could to keep me alive as long as you could. I no longer recognize myself. I'm sick of being sick, complaining about being sick, and just sick of it all. I want to be free from this pain, and this is my time. I love you and your mom very much. Take care of each other, end quote. I can't even process that. Like, we just found this out an hour ago, and I'm just, like, still just, like... But honestly... Are you surprised? I'm not surprised. I mean, but I yes am. and no, right? Yes and no, because like I said, I would love to know like 
like psychologically, like what is going on here? Like what is this called when someone has like <laughs> this much audacity? Like basically. It is the audac- audacity, but it's beyond wild that. wild to be doing this, as you said, in court, like planning she's a crime. She's just taking notes. She's writing yes, it down she's on planning paper. Another- like all the things that that are just so idiotic wrapped into one little mm-hmm. package. Yeah, and her attorneys are like, I'm afraid I'll lose my law license after this. Like, get this away from me. I don't want this, and I don't blame them. Mandy, did we end this on the wildest story of the year? The wildest story of the year. Everything sounds made up. Everything sounds made up. And by the time you get to the 37-page letter, I like, my brain is going to explode. Yeah, I... I truly have no words. <laughs> Honestly. So, oh my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. Let us know your thoughts on this. Yes, please. This is the wildest story. Um, if for no other reason than to help us process because we're going through it right now after going through this whole story. Yes. And honestly, I feel like if anything good comes out of this, I hope that somebody out there learns for the first time that eye drops can be dangerous. And I feel like that's a good piece of information to know. If you don't know that, then... Oh, totally. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And like I said, even for people who have small children or anything like that, and you just don't think about it, and you know, kids love to pick things up and put them in their mouth. um, I always think about that with stuff like things that like, if you if you aren't taught and you don't know that could like potentially like really cause a problem. And it always makes me think of things like bleach and ammonia. Yes. Or teaching your kids not to throw water on a grease fire or things like that, you know, like how to properly smother a fire in a kitchen or things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's just, I feel like this is one of those things, right? Like if you don't know that eye drops can literally be lethal, that could potentially not be a good thing. So yeah, just the craziest story you've ever heard though. Just, I've never seen somebody lie so much. And I feel so bad for Lynn because she has this person who she's known her whole life that's taking care of her. She thinks things are being taken care of. And literally, she's just draining her account and murders her just to keep up with her lies. I don't get it. Um, so I really feel for her and the people that care and love about her because that's that's unreal. I, you know, I mean, honestly, I can't say that I – Blame her attorneys for bailing on her. I feel like that's exactly what she deserves in this case. It's clear that she has learned nothing and will not stop doing this. Like she will not stop this behavior of forgery and like lying and faking things and like setting things, you know, staging things. It's a dangerous person. It is. Like she would absolutely continue this pattern of behavior if she were to be out of jail. Mm -hmm. Totally. I agree. All right, Melissa, that was the story. That was the story. <laughs> that was the story. That was a lot to share. But do you want to do a quick last thing before we go? I do. It is go? our okay. last. It is our last last thing before we go. Yes. Um. So because we are going to not see you guys again until the first of the year, crazy to say. So, yeah, January second, we will be back with a brand new episode. Yes, and we hope you guys enjoy your holidays in between then. But before yeah. we want to talk about some New Year's resolutions. Okay. I posted on Instagram 2024 resolutions that I won't be keeping. So what are things that you will not be keeping? We got some good ones. Do you want to hear a couple? Yes. Okay. So from Instagram, um, (laughs) the Live Laugh Larceny podcast, who is so nice. They like, we saw them at CrimeCon. They were the ones that gave us those really cool cookies that were just amazing and so thoughtful. Yeah. Um, They wrote, 
I won't forgive those who wronged me, but I will think of elaborate ways to get even. I love it. It's pretty good, right? I love it. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, this one hurts. This is from Shanice Lundy on Instagram. It says, I won't be learning to roller skate or clean my bathroom every day. Somebody on Facebook said a similar thing. They said, I will not be scrubbing my toilet every single day. And they said, Melissa, how did that go for you? Hurt my feelings. (laughs) That one, I hurt my feelings with my own New Year's resolution. That one was rough, but it's true. So thank you, Alexandra Matthews, for that one on Facebook. By the way, I also think that roller skating was my like 2022 to resolution. I didn't even bother saying I was going to do that in 2023. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think I'm because I'm like I don't even think from that resolution. <laughs> that's never happening. We really let that Actually, go a while ago. Does anybody want to buy my roller skates? <laughs> <laughs> Send us a DM. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, uh another one Alicia Lee on Facebook said taking it down a notch pertaining to anything like she will not take it down a notch so that's her 2024 and i think that's such a good one like yes no i'm keeping it at a level 11 <laughs> all the time um mandy and there were some other good ones we just are at like an hour and a half so i'm not going to share too many more but mandy did you have any resolutions that you're not going to what are you not resolving in the new year oh. would you like me to start sure i have two <laughs> I resolve not to say that I will not watch all the iterations of Below Deck when they bring me so much joy. I'm always like, there's too many of them. And then now I'm on season two of a new one. And I'm like, this makes this is my happy place. Why do I stop? I'm very happy for you. Thank you. And my last one is I resolve not to change my entire life because a TikToker tells me to add beets to my life. Like the vegetable. Oh, is that the new thing? Is it, are beets the new cauliflower? I don't know, but I just keep like I'm like, oh man, this would be so good for me, blah blah blah. And then they're like, eat beets, and I'm like, mm. I hate beets. I don't want beets, and I just feel like I have to keep changing. So I'm resolving if if beets comes into 2024. First of all, number one, we told you here, and number two, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm freeing myself of that. I'm not doing it either. I don't like beets. Thank you. They're terrible. All right, Melissa. I actually don't have any New Year's resolutions this year. I decided just not to make any. Just living it up, just being perfect. Just yo- yeah. YOLOing my way through 2024. <laughs> Fair enough. Not getting on skates. You resolve not to use your skates this year. How about that? That's true. I resolve not to use my skates. <laughs> we did it. We did it. All right, guys. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode and all the other episodes of this year. We love you all, and we will see you in January. Absolutely. Yes, we love you. Thank you. Thank you to Haley for your help this year. And on this episode, thank you to our listeners. I feel like it's the wrap it up music at the Oscars. Someone's coming in right now and handing me a Golden Globe or something. And I'm going to (laughs) say, I'm going to let her finish. But first, Beyonce had the best music video of the year. (laughs) No, I'm not going to do that. But anyway, you guys are awesome. Thanks for going along with us and the changes we've made this year. Thanks for being so awesome. And we really appreciate each and every one of you. See you January 2nd. Yes, we are looking forward to another new year of the podcast. Yes. Have a great two weeks. (laughs) Holiday, everything. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 